same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds he gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, listen. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path. And the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. They sprang up quickly since they had no depth. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty Let anyone with ears listen. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet... Such a person has no root, but endures only for a while, and when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil— This is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. The word of the Lord. So today we're going to be talking about soil. And at the very same time, we're going to be talking about our minds and imaginations. The activity of cultivating applies equally and quite poetically, to both. We have here in Matthew the very familiar parable of the sower, though perhaps more accurately, it should be called the parable of the four soils. Jesus says to the crowd, a sower went out to sow, and most of the seed did not find fertile ground. Some of the seed did manage to find a little bit of fertile ground, and in some places the soil was excellent and the yield was a hundredfold. And in some places the soil was really good and the yield was 60. And in other places the soil was still pretty good and the yield was 30. Jesus makes clear for us, as he does not in all parables, that the seed is the word of the kingdom of God. I love how this seed is spread indiscriminately. The sower does not focus their efforts merely on the excellent soil, It's a pretty terrible sower, actually, if you think about it. But instead, this sower gives it away to all kinds of soils and all kinds of places. This is good news. Rejoice! The word of God, Jesus Christ himself, is for all people. The focus of this parable, however, is not on the seed or the sower. It is on the soils. This is a parable about reception about receiving and bearing the fruit of the kingdom of God. So Jesus describes four possible kinds of soils for us that represent four different states of mind and heart. 
And these first three soils result in nothing. The path. The word is not understood, and so it's taken from us. It has no effect. The rocky soil. The word is received with joy, and it takes root, but alas, the roots of the word are not deep enough to endure. The thorny soil. Here, the distractions of the world and money choke the word of God out. Whatever happens when the word is received, all three of these soils have the same result. No harvest, no fruit. Let's think about for a minute why that might be. So a path is too hard and inflexible. It has been treaded down solid. Perhaps in our analogy between mind and soil, this is someone whose mind is made up. Nothing can grow in the path because it is too compacted. Water rolls right off. Even if a plant springs up, it is crushed underfoot. There is no way into this ground. The rocky soil, on the other hand, is just too shallow. The quality of the soil might be perfectly fine. As we're told, the seed does germinate. But it is not deep enough or broad enough to sustain lasting and enduring growth. This is a mind that is perhaps persuaded by new ideas, welcomes different perspectives, but does not allow these to grow into one's life and soul to bring forth fruitful and faithful action. The thorny soil is just too crowded. It is obviously soil that can sustain an abundance of life. Yet it is not growing edibles, but weeds. Thorns are rooted so deep and are so plentifully present that there is no space for a new seed to grow, a new idea to flourish. A person is distracted by life. And then we have this fourth soil. Jesus explains, But as for what was sown on good soil, this is one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit. The soil or person who hears the word of God and unlike the other three soils, understands it, allows it to take deep roots that can persist and grow and endure through the seasons and most importantly, bear fruit for harvest. The reception of this word bears forth in growth, action, change, Good soil does not merely receive the seed, but create the conditions for flourishing. So obviously we want to be good soil, right? But what if we're not? What if we're hard soil or shallow soil or crowded soil? Something that I can think that is overlooked in this passage is that the parable never says that the soil is predestined to stay as it is described as the gardeners and farmers in this room know, good soil can be cultivated. Now it is slow and hard work, particularly here in Indiana when it's solid clay. It depends on a multitude of other creatures and natural processes to assist the farmer or the gardener's efforts. 
The cycle of decay and renewal, the presence of bugs and worms and microbes breaking down organic materials, plants that add nutrients back into the soil, rainfall, and most importantly, time. But it can be done. I have a spot in my backyard just under my kitchen window that is literally solid clay. Weeding this portion of the yard is tough. And it is currently full of weeds because I have children. When it rains, this section becomes a standing pool because the water, like the path, does not penetrate easily. Last fall, however, I did have one weekend to devote to a very small section of this clay. I spent two exhausting days digging up the bed, pulling out the seemingly miles of weedy vines underground, sifting through to pull up rocks, amending the soil with manure. This summer, unlike the section right under my window, I have a tiny three-foot garden bed where my peonies are flourishing. Similarly, this parable is calling Christian disciples to do the hard work to become good soil. The path need not stay compacted. The rocky soil can increase its depth. The thorny soil can be weeded. After all, that is why Jesus calls us to become disciples, students, to learn and to change and to grow into his image by the power of the Holy Spirit. This summer, we've been focusing on hearing God's word in new ways, and not just from this pulpit. We've been doing individual work of cultivating, of plowing and tilling our imaginations to reckon with and understand the implications of the gospel in light of our current racial and economic disparities in our country. Pastor Kogan, for example, began a book study last week on the book Cast. A group of you has already attended racial equity training. Many others have picked up a great variety of adult and children's books from the narthex. This is an amazing start. It is timely for us to hear this parable then as we're about the midpoint of our sermon series. And summer is, I can't believe it, coming to an end. In what condition is the ground of your mind? Of my mind? What will be the harvest of our congregation's focused concern of race and racism? Will we have a harvest? Will our congregation be like the path where these new perspectives roll off like water on a rock? Are we as a community compacted so tightly that we cannot be opened up by new loves, new concerns, new persons? Will our congregation be like the rocky ground, where we receive these various books and sermons with joy, yet do not allow them to penetrate deeply, to take root in us to endure over the long haul? Or will our congregation be like the thorny ground and eventually get distracted or just bored? Can't we talk about something else? It is easy to be fatigued by issues that feel so impossible to overcome. Can we avoid that? This summer is mainly about the first step of becoming good soil. Understanding the word, hearing the gospel in voices from the margins, taking off the blinders of our minds and hearts. 
By grace, we are able to do this. We will have successfully avoided becoming like the soil of the path. We will have been opened up, turned over. Air and light and nutrients have been added in. But will we allow it to penetrate deep into the life and imagination of our community? I have faith that if we continue to attempt to cultivate our minds and hearts and lives, we can, in time, perhaps, become good soil. Because we have the grace of the Spirit to take who wants to take our mere graspings and strivings and bear fruit for God's kingdom. The Spirit of Christ is eager to partner with us in this truly lifelong project. So when the books have been read and Kogan's summer class is over, how do we continue to cultivate our minds and imaginations to be able to think expansively and inclusively from multiple perspectives? This will involve, I hope, the typical suspects, volunteering, advocacy, voting, serving our community in a multitude of ways. But it also might involve something you might not expect, stories. I am a theologian by trade. I teach on the other side of Indiana in Richmond at Bethany Theological Seminary. And I teach a variety of classes in theology, the arts, and the formation of the Christian imagination. Many theologians in my area of study have noted how our minds and imaginations are formed through many seemingly innocuous cultural stories and habits. We become the people we are through the narratives we inhabit, the stories we tell ourselves about who we are, who the we are, where we come from, and where we're going. And the stories that most white Americans inhabit are ordered by the white imagination. Even TV shows or books or movies with characters of color often reproduce white racial ordering of the world. You know, just think about how many black characters in movies or TV shows are treated as mere comic relief or as the strong support for the white hero. Marvel. So, like for real. So one answer to the question, what do we do when the books are read and the summer class is over, is to immerse yourself in the imagination of those who are not white. There are non-white novelists, poets, painters, directors, and more that are producing excellent stories in every genre and media, from horror to romance to nature poetry to children's books. Are you one that reads poetry? Start with the black Indiana poet Ross Gay, teaches at Bloomington, or the former poet laureate Joy Harjo, she's Native American. Do you like science fiction or fantasy? Try reading Octavia Butler, or other authors that write in the genre of Afrofuturism. Do you like visual art? Look up the monumental paintings of Kahindi Wiley, who paints black subjects on epic scale. The deconstructive work that many of us have been doing is critically important. We need to take off the blinders to see the history of hurt and oppression in our society. But we also need to be able to imagine stories of black joy, Native American hope, Asian American love, Indian American beauty, 
Pacific Islander flourishing. We need to hear and see and feel in our gut other people's stories. To be able to imagine with them, dream with them, what a better future looks like. Jesus calls us to imitate good soil, to receive God's word, to tend it over the long haul through the seasons, to improve our minds and our hearts so that the kingdom of God is embodied in our actions, our communities, and our stories. Amen.